this evening here at 5 p.m. hour. And um, I want to read verses 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4 to verse number 18. I guess that's six verses. And so let's read, since we have a short passage of Scripture, we're reading in unison tonight here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. And we won't be long tonight. I've got a probably an hour-long message, but it's going to be done in about a half hour or so. We're going to get right to it. And uh, I might not get much past the introduction tonight here, but we'll pick this up, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks from now as well. And uh, I want to be very specific tonight, but uh, it needs a lot of introduction to our uh, subject tonight. I want to talk about the pre-tribulational rapture, the rapture of the church before the seven-year coming tribulation of period of time. And so let's read, if we could, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And since there's uh, just six verses, again, let's read in unison together. Ready, begin. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So I want you to notice several phrases that are all about the same. Verse 13, it says, concerning them which are asleep. Again, in verse number 14, it's really our text verse. If we have a text verse, it's verse 14. It says, if we, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe that? And then I'd say amen. amen. Thank you for that. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Again, in verse number uh, 15, the latter part of the verse, then we which, are, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. And then again, verse number 17, of course, it speaks about, uh, or verse number 16, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Very key passages of Scripture in order to understand the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts now in the minutes that we have together around thy word, Lord, with both the congregation tonight and those in the internet uh, crowd, of course, tonight. We pray that you teach us from thy wonderful word this evening, Lord. And we say, we pray, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And we would be, wonder, we would be thrilled if, you, Lord, we were to, to wake up in an instantaneous period of time in a, and wake up in your very presence and uh, be translated in the rapture of the church. I pray you bless in our minutes together around thy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. There's a lot of chatter today about end time prophecy, as there should be. We're living in riotous days, we're living in days of turmoil. I've talked to many people that have, would agree with me that in my 62 short, 61 short years of life, that this is the most tumultuous time in American in world history, maybe more so than uh, 9-11. More so than I lived through as a boy through the Vietnam War. That was pretty tumultuous in the 60s, of course, the radical 60s. Uh, I wasn't born for the Korean War, the World War II, or World War I, of course, and they were tumultuous times, of course. We could talk about the Spanish plague and so forth, the Spanish flu, and 
times, uh, 100 plus years ago, and we could talk about other major catastrophic events, but at least in our lifetime, this has been the most uh, trying time in our lives. And I don't know the future of America, and we'll save that for another day in prophecy preaching. But I want to deal with the subject of the rapture tonight. There's much confusion, sadly, division, in, even in churches and in denominations and even in Baptist churches. There's the avoidance of the subject of the rapture because it's so-called, it's so supposedly controversial. In fact, I have several books here. I'll just glance at them. With you. I just want you to, just brought them from my library. Here's a book called uh, Shattering the Left Behind Delusion by, uh, well, I want to give the guy credit who wrote it, but uh, he's a preterist. He believes that there is, everything in Revelation happened in the first century. He doesn't, he makes mockery of the pre-tribulation rapture position of the church. Here's a book by a guy named Marv Rosenthal. If some of you have been to Holy Land in Orlando, Florida, he's the creator of Holy Land, of course. And he was a, he used to believe exactly like I'm preaching tonight, but about 30 years ago he switched his position and he became a pre-wrath rapture person. And I'll explain that in a moment. He believes that the church is going to go through some portion of the rapture. Here's another book entitled, it's by a, a Baptist, a would-be Baptist, I wish he'd drop his name Baptist, but the pre-tribulation deception. And uh, it was sent to me, of course, uh, uh, by a fellow by the name of Miller, the last name, of course, and, and uh, denies anything about the rapture. There's numerous positions, and uh, the whole message tonight may be introduction tonight. This is like, uh, in fact, I look at Christine here tonight. It's kind of like teaching biology 101 in 10 easy minutes. Uh, hard to do. It takes a little while. It takes a lot of work to do that, of course. And so a semester of class, at least a year of class, and this is like this subject that we're on tonight, but I want to simplify things. But way of introduction, there's numerous positions about the, the rapture, the catching away of the church, or, or catching away when it will take place. The, the most popular position is the position I'm going to teach you tonight, the pre-tribulation rapture position. There's a mid-tribulation rapture position that believes that those that believe in a seven-year tribulation period of time, coming year, one world domination by the Antichrist, uh, which I believe, of course, and which mid-tribulationists and post-tribulationists, many of them believe in a seven-year tribulational literal period of time on earth where all, pardon the language, hell breaks loose on earth. You think we've seen hard times now? Wait till the tribulation comes. But I'm not planning to be around for that. There's a mid-tribulation position. There's a post-tribulation position, not very popular position. There's the pre-wrath position, which says that the church is going to go through at least three and a half years, or the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then into the fourth year, fifth year, maybe even to the early sixth year, and right before things, before the coming of the Lord, there'll be a there'll be a, a rapture catching away the church before the day of wrath, and that that theory has only been around for about 30, 35 years tops. It's a new position. Then there's the no rapture at all position, and uh, rather just one general second coming, one coming of Christ where He comes back in the in the clouds, but we have a contradiction. He comes back in the clouds and he comes back to the earth. We can't have both. We have it both ways. Here in our text in 1 Thessalonians 4, he comes back to in the clouds, not to the earth, as we see in Revelation. And then naturally there's a sixth position, if I could call it that, and that's a total unbelief position, period, where it's all a bunch of, pardon the slang, poppycock, that uh, this is just a bunch of Christian emotionalism and and sensationalism, and it's not real, of course, and by the so-called science crowd that denies the, the uh, 
the literal interpretation of the Word of God. Well, you might ask the question, preacher, why are, so many, why are there so many different belief systems in regards to the rapture of the church? I'll give you the number one reason. I have two reasons. Why are so many different belief systems on the rapture tonight, on the, when the, the timing of the rapture? The number one reason why there's so much controversy on the rapture is a lack of Bible study. It's that simple. People don't read their Bible. And they listen to what he said, she said, this person says, this college says, this expert says, and they, 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 they never studied out for themselves. Why does study show they self-approved unto God, the workmen that need us not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I believe that many people are confused about the rapture because it's a simple matter of lack of study. And then number two, my second and final reason why there's confusion about the rapture of the church is not only a lack of study, but a lack of belief. Just a simple lack of belief. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. And uh, just uh, people have the, the idea of the rapture is just too far out, quote unquote, for them. It's, it's not scientific. It's too sensational. It's too unbelievable to believe. Well, I don't know about you, but I believe God's word. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. I believe what God says. And I believe what, what he says, so I don't care what anybody says, it doesn't matter. Now there's two camps or methods or systems of biblical interpretation prevalent in churches today. The first, just two, of two major, and it divides Christianity pretty much in uh, two camps, in blue and gray camps, if you will, going back to Civil War days, or Democrat-Republican camps, or conservative-liberal camps, and the liberal position or the, the wrong position in the matter of biblical interpretation is known in a broad terms the, the belief in or the system of interpretation known as the, that of covenant theology. Covenant theology position that the Bible is to be interpreted by covenants. Of course, we have an old covenant, i.e. Old Testament and a New Testament. And certainly we have two divisions in our Bible. Nobody's, I'm not arguing that point. Of course we do. But the covenant theologian Basically, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but it's very, very accurate overall. They interpret the scriptures by and large allegorically. Or they spiritualize, they use what they call the spiritualization method. It really had its roots with a guy named Augustine, Augustine, Augustine from Hippo in, uh, in Africa, of course. And he lived in 358 to 430 BC, or AD rather. And Augustine, he's the father of what we know of today as covenant theology in the early stages of it or Catholic theology. And he read things in the Revelation that just blew his mind. He read about the two witnesses that would be slain in the streets and then the whole world would see their bodies for three days and then they'd rise again from the grave. Back in 400 AD, that was too hard to encapsulate, too hard to process in your mind. And so he began to allegorize and spiritualize the word of God. And... Uh, and later on, of course, of course, in about that same time, about the 300s, uh, Constantine, uh, the emperor of Rome, of course, converted to quote-unquote Christianity, and he married paganism to Christianity, and, and we get the, the, the roots of what we know of today as infant baptism. Infant baptism feeds into covenant theology real simple. In uh, covenant theology, since it's a mythical, allegorical interpretation of scriptures, what people do is they say, well, in the Old Testament, baby boys should be circumcised on the eighth day. And it was a sign of a, a covenant sign. Again, the word covenant. 
of uh, the people of God. And so in the New Testament, in order to be aligned with God, to be in the covenant relationship with God, that babies need to be baptized. Hence, we get baby infant baptism. You say, how do we get that from the Bible? We don't get it from the Bible. We get it from covenant theology. And so we have this one method of biblical interpretation known as covenant theology, which is really allegorical theology uh, of the interpretation of the Word of God, a mythical, mystical interpretation of the Word of God. And then there's the second form of biblical interpretation, which we are proponents of, I'm a proponent of, and our church is a dispensational church. And it's a word in the, the, the Bible that we find three times to be exact and translated dispensational. Sometimes it's translated as other, other words as well, but it's the word oikonomos in the, the Greek language, house rules, that God deals differently in different time periods of time. We believe that there's six major and a seventh major dispensational period of time. And uh, I'll get to that in a moment here. But the dispensational theologian practices what is known as the literal, literal historical method of interpretation. In other words, that when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Let me give you for some examples. When Jesus said that Jonah was follow, swallowed by a fish, call me sensational, call me crazy, but I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. When God says that Noah went into an ark and uh, there was a worldwide flood and the ark and eight souls were saved, I believe God, that there was a worldwide flood. When God said in six days created the earth and heaven and all creation, I believe that God literally, that God could do anything, that he created all things in six-day period of time. He could have done it in six nanoseconds or a nanosecond if he wanted to, but he chose six days. You see, when the plain sense makes common sense, Seek no other sense. You say, well, if you're a dispensational theologian, you might have to believe that like there's a God. You might have to believe that he's real and that there really is something called heaven and earth, that there really is something called a heaven and a hell after, after this life. We might have to actually believe God. We might have to believe his Bible. And so going back to just a 30 seconds of review, Two major systems of interpretation of Scripture, that of covenant theology or an allegorical or mystical or mythical or a symbolic interpretation of the Word of God, make it, the Word of God make it say anything you, be anything you want it to be and interpret any way you want it to interpret. And so the four horsemen of the Revelation, Revelation 6 become the, the Beatles, according to Charles Manson, and uh, anything goes because you can just, just interpret the Word of God yourself. Or... There's the dispensational understanding, rightly dividing the Word of God interpretation where we, we know that God works definitely differently in different time periods of time. And that is the, the belief system that we approach the Word of God at in this text before us, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, sometimes known as the classic rapture passage of Scripture. But there's many others that we'll have time, we won't have time to dissect in any great details tonight, but... I want to give you several arguments for the pre-tribulational or the catching away of the church before the tribulation seven-year period of time. The question tonight is, one more time, what about the rapture? What about the catching away? What about this rapturo, to use the Greek language, the harpazo, to use the, or the, the, the rapturo, to use the 
the Latin language in our pods, or to use the Greek language. They shall be caught away in the clouds. What about the rapture? Or more elongated question tonight that we want to answer is, how do we know the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of every born-again believer in Christ before, there's the key word, before the events known as the seven-year literal tribulational period of time that's coming upon all the earth. Now, by the way, one more time so you understand, I believe in a literal, literal, do I need to say that word again? Let me say it again. Literal seven-year tribulation period of time where God is going to judge this earth and he's going to pour out his wrath. The Revelation talks about this in great detail. Seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments, seven vile judgments. He's going to, seven seals. He's going to pour out his wrath. Revelation 4, chapter 4, all the way to Revelation chapter 19 into 20. We see these, this, this seven-year tribulation. But I'm saying to you tonight, contrary to many churches that are no longer taking a position, and it bothers me, and it should bother you as well, and I hate to say it, but some Baptist churches as well, some gospel-preaching Baptist churches, very few, thank God for that. I wish there weren't any, not any, but there's, there's a few, a small percentage that are, have gone away from the pre-tribulational rapture position and gone to a pre-wrath position or a mid-term rapture position. And they're, then I would say maybe 1% of fundamental evangelical Baptist, uh, 2% are, are going away from the, the rapture position, pre-tribulational rapture position. And then there's some churches that believe in the pre-tribulational rapture, but they're going away from it because it's controversial. They don't want to be combative, debative. They want to grow their crowd, and so therefore they don't take a stand on a specific stand on the, the catching away of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to comfort you just for the sake of comfort you, comforting you, but I'm referring to 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I want you to know that the pre-tribulational rapture position is a comforting position. Now, there's several arguments, and we won't have time tonight, and Christine, I'll pick on you because you're the science teacher tonight. And it's like trying to teach the, 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 uh, the chemical or the, uh, the periodic table all in one easy lesson in five minutes. It's kind of hard to do. And, uh, or teaching biology 101 in, in one easy half-hour lesson. Kind of hard to do. And in the same way, people, because they don't want to study, because they don't believe, they, they just they want to take somebody else's word for what's, what's uh, going to happen, maybe a preacher's word or a preacherette's word or somebody else's word or somebody else's. Just tell me what, 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 what I'm supposed to believe instead of studying it out themselves. I've been studying this for the record, not that this makes me an authority, but I've been studying this for the last 45 years of my life. As a teenage boy, I heard about the rapture of the church. I heard about the tribulation period of time. I got an old Schofield reference Bible. It's still a good Bible. There's some things I disagree with in the, the reference notes of the Schofield Bible, but the Bible of the Schofield, C.I. Schofield and his, his contributors, of course, written in 1917, edited in 1917. It's been a good standard bearer for dispensational teaching. So let me give you, if I could, five quick arguments here. And I told you most of this message is introduction here tonight. And let me just, just give them to you real quickly. Seven arguments, several arguments for the pre-tribulational catching away position that our church teaches, that I teach, that I believe is biblical Bible 101. The first reason why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture before the 
That is, the church will be caught away, every believer in Christ will be caught away before this seven-year tribulation period of time comes. It's the dispensational argument. Now, I'm going to do this rapid fire. Most dispensationalists believe in seven time periods of time where God dealt differently with different people during different times. We have the age of innocence, Adam and Eve in the garden. We have the age of conscience, where they were expelled from the garden, of course, and, and then man became w wicked and evil. And then we have the, the flood of Noah and the, the new world that was begun with the eight souls. And we have that of human government. And, and before that, capital punishment was not allowed. Meeting was not allowed. And then there was a radical change that took place. Then we have the, the patriarchs, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and uh, Israel, of course, and uh, we have the age of promise or the dispensation of promise. Then Moses goes up to the Mount of Sinai and gets the law after 430 years of bondage in Egypt. You know the story, many of you. And so we have the dispensation of innocence in the garden, the dispensation of conscience uh, expelled from the garden and it leads us up to Babel and, of course, or pardon me, up to the flood. And then we have the flood and human government. Then we have promise in the patriarchs. And then we get to Moses and 400 years after the patriarchs, we get the law. And then we come to Christ. And in Christ we have the parenthesis and we have what we know as, as the age of grace or the church age. And so the dispensational argument is one reason why we believe in a pre-tribulation position. Number two reason, and I'm just giving, just, just, just glossing the surface of these reasons why belief in a pre-tribulational rapture is accurate and biblical. Number two because of the distinctly Jewish nature of the tribulation period. In other words, put it, and it takes some study, but Daniel 9, if you want a passage of Scripture that you need to study, verses 24 to 27 to be exact, we read about the 70 weeks of Daniel, or 70 weeks, 490 years. 69 of those weeks have already transpired from 483 years have already gone by. And it leads us up to from the time of the building of the wall of Jerusalem, to the coming of Christ, right to the, not to the coming of Christ exactly, but to rather exactly almost punctiliarly to the, to the time where Christ died on the cross and rose again, till the cutting off of Messiah, as Matthew, rather Daniel chapter 9 says. It's distinctly Jewish. It's, it's, it's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the 70th week is a period of seven years. The last week, each week is a period of seven years. 483 years have gone by. Now there's a parenthesis known as the age of grace the church age, which we are now currently living in. It's been going on for nearly 2,000 years. And, and it's going to be, there's going to be the addendum to the, to the age of the law, of course, to the seven-year tribulational period of time where the Jews will rebuild their temple. And that temple mount where the mosque, the Dome of the Rock now sits. And that's another message for another day. But the distinctly Jewish nature of the tribulation period the Bible calls it that it's, it's, it uses the phrase, my people, speaking about the Jewish people. It's called the time of Daniel's trouble, or Jacob's trouble, excuse me, in Jeremiah. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, or Israel's trouble, not Gentile's trouble, but Israel's trouble. In the context of the Olivet Discourse, mainly from Matthew 24 and 25, the last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week, he spoke to his disciples and asked specifically, when shall be the end of the world and what shall be the signs of thy coming? And he spoke specifically to Jewish, Jewish believers there, of course, his disciples in particular. 
There was no Gentiles, there were no Gentiles in the audience. And so we believe, we have argument number one, why a pre-trib rapture position. First of all, there's a dispensational argument. Secondly, there's a distinctly Jewish in nature argument to the tribulation period. Thirdly, there's the children of light versus the children of darkness argument. And you may want to just glance over, it's where you have it right in your Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 5, if you're still in 1 Thessalonians 4. The Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 5, For God hath not appointed us to, unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want us to be ignorant of these things. In fact, let me belabor the point here for a moment or two, if I can. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. Back to chapter 4, verse 13. He wants us to know these things. But, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. God wants us to know we're not of the children of this world. We're children of light. Now we get to chapter 5. Look what it says. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, encapsulating phrase, by the way, I don't have time to dissect this, but I believe it's talking about a thousand and seven year period of time that encapsulates the whole one day of the Lord. There'll be the day of the Lord when he comes back in the, to the earth and Mount of Olives on Zechariah 14, but we'll save that for another day. There's, but there's the day of the Lord, a day of the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years of the day, Peter says. There's going to be a coming day of the Lord, including the seven year tribulation period of time and the thousand year millennial period of time, and it's right in the Bible. And uh, it's not some thing that I've just conjured up or some crazy dispensationalist has conjured up on its own. The Bible teaches this. The day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, the Bible says. And then it goes on to say, sudden, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as a woman with travail, and they shall not escape, verse 3. But brethren, notice verse number 4, but ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Notice verse 5, ye are children of, uh, children of light, the children of day. We are not the children of night or of darkness. You see, we're going to be taken out. We're going to be delivered from the wrath to come because we're children of light. And the prince of light, the prince of peace, the prince of glory is coming to catch us away and take us into heaven. And this world is going to be cast into a time of period of darkness. You think we've had dark days in America now? Wait till tribulation comes. But I'm not, again, planning on being around for that. Hallelujah to that, for that. And so we see this, this fourth argument, if we could call it that. We're not appointed unto wrath. We're children of light, not children of darkness. The last, or the fourth, before we get to our message proper, and I'm almost pulling this off here. We're about 20 minutes into our introduction. Got about a 25-minute introduction and a five-minute message, so hang on. A fourth reason for to buttress the truth of a pre-tribulational rapture is that, is that of the order of the book of the Revelation and the disappearing of the church after chapter 3 of Revelation. In fact, if you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we read about in Revelation 2 and 3, and I'm doing this quickly again, the seven churches of Asia Minor, literal historical physical, local New Testament assemblies that were found in Revelation. And there's a threefold division of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1, it says, write the things which are, the things that, are, the things that were, the things that are, and the things that shall be. We get to Revelation 4.1. I want you to look at it. 
The last word of Revelation chapter 3 is, what's the last word? Help me out, class. She said, churches. We never read that word churches or call on assembly again. And we see it at the end of Revelation 19 when we see, it by the, we see the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb and the coming of, of the believers back at the end of the seven-year tribulation period of time. But we get to Revelation 4.1 and John the Revelator says, after this, this key phrase, after this, after this. There's a future prophetic event that's going to take place yet, and it hasn't taken place yet. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet saying, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. There is coming a day of tribulation. There is coming another day where there's going to be there's going to coming a rapture where the Lord's going to call his children. That trumpet's going to be clear for us. There's going to be a trumpet of confusion for the, 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 the world. And uh, they won't understand what's happening. A strong delusion will be sent their way. But notice verse number two. And immediately, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and immediately I was in the spirit now, let me spell it out so you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm saying tonight, on June 21st, 2020, if Jesus comes back in the clouds and he's not going to be tearing, he's going to come back into the appointed time. He's going to come in the clouds and I did that as loud as I could on purpose. There's going to be a catching away in a moment, in a rhema, in a twinkling of an eye, and a Thomas, two Greek words. You know how small an atom is, how... How fast the twinkling of an eye is. No, we don't know how fast the twinkling of an eye is. It's fast, let me tell you. The Bible says we shall be caught away if the rapture takes place. And I'm not sure about this. I don't know to walk away from the pulpit. This is Marty Schott conjecture. I'm not sure if I'm right about this. But the Bible says flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There are those that believe, and I, I am sympathetic towards this belief. It may happen this way. Our body does not go to heaven, our soul goes to heaven. And since our soul goes to heaven, that's who we really are. This body is just our chamber, our flesh, our house. Many believe that when the rapture takes place, that I know it sounds gross, but there's going to be pools of blood and flesh and bone, and, just, and we're going to be found dead in a pool of blood. And the Bible says, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Corruptible cannot put on incorruption. Our soul is going to go on to heaven. So maybe the world is going to buy a line as millions of Christians all around the world are raptured away. We're going to have our dead carcasses still left out here on earth and people are going to think some worldwide UFO event took place or some catastrophic event where millions of people all around the world died all at the same time. Or maybe we'll just disappear. I don't know which way it's going to happen, but I know we're going to be, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, Back to our text in the seven minutes or so that we have left. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, and I know I'm going rapid fire. I plan on dissecting this in further messages coming these coming Sunday nights throughout the summertime after we get past July 5th. But I want to go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, and verse 14 especially. There's a key, and here's the, here's the message proper, as I call it, there's a key to understanding the timing of the rapture. 
And the key to understanding the timing of the rapture is understanding the phrase found in verse 14, actually in verse 13 and verse 15 and verse 17 as well. But verse 14 will suffice. Look at it one more time. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus. Those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Again, in verse number, the Bible says in verse number 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, he's bringing those that sleep in Jesus with him, but the dead in Christ shall rise first. How do we reconcile those two seemingly contradictory statements? We must understand that there's a, been a false teaching of what's known as in churches around America today as soul sleep. I could name the denominations that hold the soul sleep. In fact, let me name a couple of them. They're called the Seventh-day Adventists. They're called uh, the Adventist, the Christian Advent Church. There's many that believe in the soul sleep. That, In other words, when you die, that your body goes to the ground and you sleep until Jesus comes in the final resurrection and then, there's, then you're resurrected. But the, there's a cessation of life. In fact, uh, if you Google definition of soul sleep, don't Google anymore. Start to duck, duck, go. That's a free commercial. Duck, duck, go. Duck, duck, go. I'm trying to get into the habit of doing duck, duck, go. Fooling on Google. They're going to take me off the internet here soon. But anyhow, that's another story. The definition of soul sleep is simply this in the Wikipedia venue. Soul sleep is the concept that when someone dies, their soul goes to sleep. It is based on a doctrine that teaches that the soul does not exist apart from the body and is annihilated with the destruction of the body. Soul sleep is taught by groups that originated as part of the Millerite movement of the 1840s. Now, just a quick 10-second history lesson. There's a fellow by the name of William Miller, and he became the founder of what we know of today as the Seventh-day Adventist. And he taught soul sleep, and it's very popular today because of a misinterpretation of Scripture where the Bible speaks about Christians that sleep in Jesus. The Bible says there's a point when a man wants to die. Now, by the way, Christians never die. But the world, unsaved man, he dies, and Christians sleep. And uh, they, they, their body sleeps, but their soul goes to be with heaven, in heaven. In fact, verse 16, again, back to our text verse of 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now, in this passage of Scripture, does he come to the earth or to, does he come in the clouds? He comes in the clouds. He does not touch foot on planet earth. He'll come and the, there'll be a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. But wait a minute. If the dead in Christ are those that are asleep, go back to verse 14. I hope you can follow this supposedly contradiction. Even so, them also which sleep, when Jesus comes in the clouds, he's going to bring those Christians that sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? Very key phrase. So here's the problem with soul sleep. Let me try to give it to you in about three minutes, two minutes. The problem with believing in soul sleep, that if a Christian dies, then his body is just sleeping for a thousand years or for, or for ten years until the Lord comes back, and then he'll resurrect in one general resurrection. 
there's multiple problems with that. Let me give you several of them quickly here. In fact, I have five written down. Number one, there's the eternal life issue problem. Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus and he said, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe thou this. See, Christians, we don't die. We just exchange residences. We got people moving out of Connecticut faster than New York, faster than uh, we can shake a stick at. They're not dying. They're not, they're not ceasing to live. They're just moving to other states. They get changing their residences, their places of occupation, their, 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 where they live. And the Bible speaks about eternal life in Jesus Christ. We will never die. The Bible's, there's a never separation issue of the believer. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, the Bible says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or uh, I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ forever for all eternity. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we receive Christ, we're in Christ and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so soul sleep, we have a problem with soul sleep because it's, it, it smacks against the never separation of the believer from Christ issue. It smacks against the eternal life issue. It smacks against the clear teaching of many numerous passages of Scripture. Let me give you a four for time's sake. Philippians 1.21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is, do you know it? Gain. When Paul put his head down on that chopping block in Rome, and that Roman soldier took that axe and chopped his head off to be, the moment he, he died on planet Earth, he was walking, walking around as a Christ one, a Christian. But he, to die is gain. He, went to be, he, he even wrote the words in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear when we sleep in Jesus, we Go to be with him. Revelation 4, 2, I've already given you the verses. John 14, 1 to 6, uh, he goes to prepare a place for us, not a grave for us, but a place for us. Uh, fourth argument here, and I'm, I'm looking at that clock. I'm almost to the witching hour. And I, I, I'm just still getting through the introduction. There's the account of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke chapter 16. The Bible says the rich man died and was buried, and he went to hell, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. The Lazarus died and he was carried into Abraham's bosom in the center of the earth, by the way. There's a fifth argument for the understanding the problem with snow sleep, and that is the first fruits of the resurrection argument. That when Jesus died on the cross, he ascended to the lower parts of the earth and he led Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And all Christians... When they die, then be, the absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To, to me, to live as Christ and die as gain. We go to the place that God prepared for us. And so this term sleep, here's getting to the punchline of the message, and I, I'm streamlining. We're going to pick this up, Lord willing, in a couple, three weeks. Sleep is a term for, quote-unquote, rest for the Christian. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest unto the people of God. Folks, this world is not our home. There's no rest in this world. Now, there's the peace of God that passes understanding, the peace of God, the peace with God, but this world is a tumultuous place. And Psalms 23 and verse 6 is only partially 
fulfilled in our lives. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That part's being fulfilled as a Christian. But I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That part hasn't come yet. I look forward to that day when I have eternal rest with Jesus Christ, my Savior. So this word is teaching us that, let me summarize it and we'll be done here this evening. Back to our text, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, one more time. God doesn't want us to be ignorant, verse 13, of these things. Because Jesus, verse 14, if we believe he died and rose again, if we receive the gospel of Christ, when Jesus comes back in the clouds, even so them also which sleep, every believer that's died prior to the rapture goes to heaven immediately. And when Jesus comes back in the clouds, he'll come back with his saints, because he's never going to leave his saints. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we're going to come with him. Where he goes, we go. We're going to come in the clouds. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. What's that mean? There's going to be a bodily resurrection to meet the... Our our mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. We'll get a new heavenly body. Right now, people that go to heaven have spirit bodies. They don't just... They're in their their soul. They They don't have a physical body. But one day... Heaven's going to be a real place with real people walking around, real human bodies. And by the way, I just got to have a little bit of fun here just for a moment here. Perfect bodies. You know what I'm saying? Not, not overweight bodies, not tired bodies, not uh, limping bodies. Not, uh, we're going to have a perfect body. Some think we're going to be like Christ. It's uh, uh, 33 years of age in perfect shape. And uh, men will be men and women will be women. And we'll be all sons of God, children of God for all eternity. And what a day that will be. You say, preacher, why do you believe these things? Well, I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation because the Bible says well, there won't be comfort if we go through some of this tribulation hours. So be, I need to be prepare, prepare you for a midterm tribulation or a pre-wrath tribulation or a post-tribulation rapture or one general coming at the end of the tribulation hour. Then I have to tell you that we're in for some real super hard times. And by the way, we are in for some hard times. I don't doubt, doubt that. And it's going to get hotter and hotter and tougher and tougher until Jesus comes. I don't doubt that for one bit. But we're going to be taken, delivered from the wrath to come. And the Bible says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And I'm three and a half minutes over time. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we say, we pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We believe that you're coming again. You're coming in the first phase of your coming in the clouds. The second time you come, you'll touch down at the Mount of Olives, which I've stood on and walked down the hillside of. You're coming, that mountain will literally divide from the east to the west. But Lord, that's at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And you'll bring us with you, with you, Revelation 19. We look forward to that. We'll be riding on white horses, clean and white, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we'll be a part of your army in Revelation 19. We look forward to that. But Lord, before that, there's a catching away in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, how we look forward to that in those blessed days. Lord, I thank you for the rapture of the church. And I pray that even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray you dismiss us thy blessing tonight. Lord, help us to walk with thee in these last and treacherous days before you come again. And we, we look forward to that day when we will all gather together in your presence and be with you forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.